Side Hustle Show 272, how the new tax law impacts entrepreneurs and side hustlers. What's up, what's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show because it's not what you make, it's what you keep that matters. So late last year, the United States Congress passed a new tax law, largely billed as a tax cut. Hey, we're going to put money back in the people's pockets. But as you hear in this episode, there's a little more to it than that. Uncle Sam giveth and he taketh away. To help me walk through the ins and outs of the new rules is our resident tax expert, Mr. Josh Bowerly from CPAonfire.com. Of course, these tax changes, like pretty much everything the government does these days, did not come without controversy. Proponents say they'll essentially pay for themselves in the form of stimulating economic growth. Historically, though, a revenue neutral and especially a revenue positive tax cut on this scale is hard to find. I did a little homework on that, a little economist's research, but you're welcome to fact check me on it. In fact, some nonpartisan estimates say this round of changes could add $500 billion to a trillion dollars to our deficit over the next 10 years. But regardless, it is the law of the land, and what Josh and I are trying to do in this episode is shake out the most important changes impacting the bottom line for you, your family, and your business. Notes and links for this one, along with a free downloadable PDF highlight reel summary, are at sidehustlenation.com slash taxes2018, taxes2018. Now, of course, a basic understanding of the tax laws and a trusted tax advisor are a couple important resources to have in your toolbox, but there's another one you should know about that's recommended by 97% of small business owners, and that's FreshBooks. FreshBooks.com is the number one affordable accounting solution built specifically for side hustlers and freelancers. I'd like to thank FreshBooks for sponsoring today's show and for helping 10 million entrepreneurs, myself included, get paid and keep the books in order come tax time. As a Side Hustle Show listener, you can claim a 30-day completely free trial at freshbooks.com slash side hustle. That's freshbooks.com slash side hustle to start your 30-day free trial today. We begin this call with Josh on what I see as the biggest win for entrepreneurs under the new tax law. The ability for pass-through entities, that's sole proprietorships, LLCs, S-corps, to pay tax only on the first 80% of their earnings in most cases. That's huge. I'll be back with my top takeaways from this call with Josh after the interview. Ready? Let's do it. Bottom line, if you have a business, it's almost definitely a pass-through entity. So it could be a sole proprietor, it could be an LLC, it could be a partnership, it could be an S-corporation. All of those are what they call pass-through entities, meaning the business doesn't pay taxes, you pay the taxes on the profits personally. Everything but a C-corporation is a pass-through entity. And if you're a pass-through entity, the new tax code says that instead of paying taxes on 100% of those profits like you had to in the past, you now only have to pay taxes on 80% of those profits. So let's say that your business has a $200,000 profit. In the past, you always paid taxes on all $200,000. Now you're only going to pay taxes on $160,000. So for a decently successful business, this is actually a really big deal. Okay, that sounds like a big deal. So yeah, you make your you're getting forty grand tax free in that example of making two hundred thousand a year. Exactly. Yeah. And and just I mean, let's just make sure everyone's on the same page here. When we say profits, all we mean is your net income, what's left after all your deductible expenses. So it brings in three hundred thousand, you have a hundred thousand dollars in expenses, your profits two hundred, and then you pay taxes on hundred and sixty. Even if you took all two hundred thousand out as distributions to yourself, you're still only paying taxes on hundred and sixty thousand. Okay. And is this only if you've set up a formal entity or is this work for sole proprietors as well? Like Schedule C income? Anyone who has a business, even if you're a freelancer, if you're a contractor, you're considered a pass-through entity. Sole proprietor, you never set anything up. You're still what they call a pass-through entity. So you still qualify for that 20% exemption. 
Oh, cool. Anything special you got to do to claim it? Or is it just like that's going to happen <laughs> automatically? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're still kind of waiting to see how it's going to go into effect. But my guess is just going to be something on the 1040 that says if you have income on this line of your tax return, you're, you're only paying taxes on 80% of that. Okay. That change, the calculation we kind of talked about last time was like the recommended entity structure was this LLC for liability protection with an S-corp election to allow you to save money on your self-employment taxes. Does that change now? Not really, no. We're still using basically the same standards. And well, keep in mind, this is brand new. So year one will be a little bit of a, let's see how, what this all looks like. But for now, we're saying that around that 40000 or so in net income is when you want to start considering an S-corporation. But the other thing there is that there are some limits for what they call service-based businesses. So like me, like a CPA or an attorney, people that earn their entire income by providing services for people. After you hit $315,000 in net income, assuming that you're married, and $157,000 if you're single, there are some calculations that are based on your salary. So where it could make a difference is how much you have to pay yourself in salary. So for example, in my case, if, if, if I were to make over $315,000 net income, I would have to have my salary at a certain amount in order to maximize that 20% deduction, basically. Okay. Is that the point being like, okay, we want to make sure you're paying yourself a fair wage or realistic wage based on how much profit you're making? Exactly. Yeah. So the IRS likes that salary to be as high as possible so they can get their payroll taxes. Sure. And their argument is if you're in a service-based business, the revenue depends on you performing that service. So we're going to make you have a higher salary. Okay. What's the minimum? Is it just a percentage or how do they calculate it? So what it's going to be is your deduction for that 20% can't be higher than 50% of your salary. Okay. And let's go back to that scenario, $200,000 profit. Ordinarily, you'd get to deduct $40,000 of income off of that. But in order to deduct that $40,000, your salary would have to be $80,000 if you fall under those service-based business $315,000. Okay. All right. Lots of moving, lots of moving parts on tons of moving parts. Look, here's the bottom line to take from this. Number one, it's a very good deal for pass-through entities. It's the first time I've ever seen them actually target pass-through entities for deduction. That's the great news. The other thing is you want to talk to somebody because there are a lot of moving parts here. So you're going to get something good, but you may have to structure things properly to make sure you're getting everything you can get. So if you've never talked to anybody before, this is just a bigger reason to talk to a professional about this. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, that's a that's a nice kind of incentive for people to start businesses. I guess a little bit, hey, right off the top, especially for new companies starting out, it's like, hey, that's a, a cool, I guess, tax break. Yeah, exactly. And then it, the other thing is, I mean, you get a lot of people who maybe have a choice of being either an employee or a contractor at the company they work for. This this could lead to more people choosing the contractor route because now they're only paying taxes on 80% of their income, whereas an employee is paying it on 100%. Yeah, totally. Does it make sense or if you had any clients start to put investment vehicles underneath that entity, like underneath the umbrella of the LLC, for example, like I want to own dividend paying stocks because, or I want to you know run my investment account through Fidelity underneath this LLC. Because now if I have capital gains or if I have dividend income, that's going to be on, under the business and I'm only going to pay on 80% of those instead of 100%. That's the first time I've ever been asked that question. It's actually a really interesting question. It wouldn't help you is the short answer because dividend income, interest income, capital gains income, that's going to show up on a different line on your K-1, which is what shows those business profits. The only thing you're getting that 80% deduction on is the actual profits of the business. So that investment income wouldn't qualify for that. 
All right, all right, fair enough. Uh, I thought I, I thought I might have found a loophole there. Okay, <laughs> it was creative. I like it. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and then the example of a non pass through entity is like a corporation, corporation, a C corp, and this is for people who want to like have a startup and raise money or something like that. Like, what would be an example of somebody who needs a C corp? Yeah, so and actually, C corps are getting a pretty good deal out of this too. Their tax rates going from thirty five percent to twenty one percent. Okay, so keep in mind, C corp is the business where the, the business itself pays taxes; it doesn't pass through to you personally. So instead of paying thirty five percent on those profits, now you're paying twenty one percent. But in my opinion, that this gets even dangerous because there was already people choosing C corps when they shouldn't be a C corp, and now it's going to be even more tempting for people to choose a C corp when they shouldn't be a C corp. <laughs> And for my guess is 95, maybe even 99% of your audience should absolutely not be a C-Corp. There's a ton of bad information out there. I'm sure you've heard on the radio before, read it on internet articles, like go open a C-Corporation in Delaware. That's what you need to do. Yeah. Like this for most people is terrible advice. For one thing, here's a big reason why it's, it's bad advice for most people. Let's say that you profit $200,000 in that business and you're a C-Corporation. You're only going to pay 21% of taxes on that. And that's a good chance that'll be lower than what you'd pay personally. All right. But as soon as you take that money out for personal use, you're going to get taxed again as dividend income. So it has what they call double taxation. So unless you're planning to keep all of your profits at all time in the C-Corporation, it's probably going to be a terrible entity for you to choose. Okay. Yeah, that's more for big companies. Yeah? Right. right. Like, why, so why would anybody use that, I guess? The big time a C-Corporation comes into play is you're starting a business that you're going to bring in investors, right? So you're in Silicon Valley and you're starting up the next Facebook and you want to have venture capitalists buy in and, and you're going to go on Shark Tank and Mark Cuban's going to go in. And okay. that, that's where you'd want to see for because then you can have investors in the business. All right. So the vast majority of side hustlers are going to fall under the pass-through entity structure, which is sole proprietorship, LLC, S-Corp. Yep, exactly. Okay. All right. So things are looking good so far on the tax breaks for side hustlers, but that might not be the whole story. What else is new in this 2018 tax law? Yeah. So that's the, the big thing that hits business owners specifically, but then there's a, a lot of general things that are going to hit individuals. And one big one is they're doubling the standard deduction. Okay. So most people or everyone, when they, when they go to file their personal taxes, you get one of two deductions. Either you get the standard deduction, which is what the IRS gives to everybody. All right. And for last year, if you were married, that was just under 13,000. And if you were single, it was just under 7,000. All right. That, that's just a deduction from income they automatically give you. Everybody gets this off the top. Off the top. Or if you can beat that, if you can go higher in what they call itemized deductions, then you itemize. And itemized deductions consist of mortgage interest, your personal residence, property taxes, income taxes you pay to your state, charitable donations, medical expenses, and a few other things. All right. So most people, if they don't own a home and don't have that mortgage interest and property taxes, they don't itemize. They take the standard deduction. What the IRS is saying is we're going to double that standard deduction. So instead of if you're married, instead of getting just under $13,000, we are going to give you $24,000. All right. So this is a big deal. For people who itemized in the past, there's a good chance they're now going to take the standard deduction. Okay. So just to give you an example, personally, I own a home. I'm in a low tax state, Ohio. I know that I had $17,000 in itemized deduction. So I always itemized instead of just taking the standard deduction. Going forward, I'm going to get $24,000 in the standard deduction. So I'm basically getting $7,000 additional 
dollars in deduction that I didn't get before. Okay, another seven grand, kind of like tax free income. Exactly. Yeah. So, and it, it, for people who who don't own a home, for people who rent, this is an even bigger deal because now they're basically doubling the deduction they were getting. Okay, that's an interesting one. Normally, they'd be. Seems like normally Congress is about incentivizing home ownership. That's actually an, an interesting thing that I, I don't think people are talking about it enough is it is kind of decentivizing. Is that a word? Decentivizing? Disincentivizing? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> home ownership, right? Because it's taking away the big draw to it, the, the property taxes and the mortgage interest. For a lot of people, they'll yeah. no longer be able to deduct those. So yeah, that's an interesting... We'll, we'll see how that impacts the home buying economy. All right. Well, I'm currently renting. So that's a nice boost for me as well. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over 3.5 million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. I'm liking this so far. What else you got? Yep. So the next one, let's go through the good news things first. The <laughs> okay. next one is the child tax credit. All right. If you have a kid that's under 17, it's not 18. A lot of people get confused here. They have to be under 17, 16 or less and you're claiming them on your taxes, you in the past got a $1,000 credit. Okay, and a credit is even better than a deduction. A credit straight up says you owed $10,000 in taxes, you get a $1,000 credit, now you owe $9,000 in taxes, all right? So it's a dollar for dollar reduction in your taxes. Okay. So you have two kids under 17, you got a $2,000 credit, lowered your tax by $2,000. There's two things that are happening here. Number one, they're doubling that credit. So you're getting $2,000 per kid. So that's a big deal, all right? So I know you're, you're about to have two kids, right? So for 2018, you get a $4,000 credit instead of a $2,000 one you would have had in the past. 
You like how Josh just slipped that in there, but it's true. Little Hustler number two is in all likelihood making his debut later this month. So it's coming up. Uh, wish us luck on that. I'll be off spending that extra two grand on diapers and daycare for sure. This is a big one. All right. I have three kids. It's big for me. I'm, I'm getting $3,000 extra in credit here. Okay. That's awesome. Yeah. The other big thing here though, is they, they used to phase that out. It started at $110,000 of income. You started to lose that credit. So you'd slowly work your way up. You hit 110,000. Now maybe you're getting $600 instead of a thousand. And then after you hit about $130,000 in income, you were losing that credit completely. Okay. So for a lot of people, especially people that own a business, they were getting zero child tax credit, even for kids under 17. Oh, okay. Not only are they doubling the credit, they're also going in and saying they're raising that limit. I think it's just under 300,000 now instead of 130,000. So not only are they doubling the credit, they're also making it accessible to way more people. So this is big news for a lot of people. Okay. Interesting. Incentivizing rich people to have more kids. Right, right, right. So, I mean, it's kind of funny when you look at it to say, what are they going for here? Yeah. Trying to think like, okay, what's the logic behind this? Okay. I think the logic behind this one was they, they wanted to appeal to quote unquote, the middle class and they have kids and some of them were phased out of taking that credit. So they did it. Okay. So those are the good ones, right? We have the pass-through entity. You're only paying tax on 80% of income. They're doubling the standard deduction and they're doubling the child tax credit and raising the limits on who can take that. So all great news there. Ready to go over the bad news? All right. What's the what's the bad news? I feel like there's got to be there's got to be a catch somewhere. Yep. Here's one of the big ones. They are getting rid of the personal exemption deduction. Okay. So a lot of people don't even know they were getting this, but for anyone who is making under, I think the limit was super high, like six hundred thousand dollars, you were getting what they call the personal exemption. So for every person you claim on your taxes, including yourself, you were getting about a four thousand dollar deduction. Okay, so last year you had you, your wife, and one kid, right? Yes. Okay, so you got roughly a twelve thousand dollar deduction in personal exemptions, right? So just like the standard deduction or the itemized deduction, it was a straight write-off from your income. So if you had $100,000 income, that $12,000 deduction meant that you were only taxed on $88,000. Okay, they're getting rid of that completely. So if you're a big family, like I have me, my wife, three kids, we're basically losing $20,000 a deduction with that one. So that one's hitting hard. Okay, yikes. So is this going to be a wash plus or minus with the standard deduction increase and the child tax credit, or is this going to negate all that? <laughs> so that I think to me, it's mostly a wash between the child tax credit and the exemption. Basically what you're gaining in the additional child tax credit, you're losing in losing the exemption. So I would consider those two a wash and the doubled standard deduction a gain. Okay. Interesting. Any insight into what the reasoning behind that was just trying to like simplify things or what do you think? I have no idea why they went that route of, I've never even heard that on the table of let's get rid of the personal exemption. I've never heard anyone complain about that deduction. That was a strange one. I don't get it. I, I a simplification is the only guess I can come up with there. And I, I didn't find it overly complicated to tell you the truth to that it needed simplified, but I'm not Congress, I guess. So. All right. Fair enough. I won't, I won't hold you to that. So we, uh, <laughs> so we, went, so we went forward a little bit. We went backwards a little bit, maybe even more. What else is going on on the bad news front? All right. So here's the bad news that people listening in California and New York City especially are going to throw things at their computer when we start talking about this. We talk, Remember we talked about itemized deductions and one of the big ones in there was property taxes and taxes paid for state income taxes, right? Right. 
that was in the past an unlimited deduction. Okay, so if you had a big fancy house that you paid $12,000 a year in, in property taxes on, you could deduct 100% of that. If you had a high income that you were paying $20,000 to the state of California in income taxes, you could deduct 100% of that. Now you still get that deduction, but it's capped out at $10,000 per year. For people like me in Ohio, that still seems like a, a reasonably high amount. For people in California and New York City and a few other places, that's going to hit very, very quickly, especially if you own a home or have a high income. This is going to have a lot of people upset in, in the high income tax states. A lot of people are kind of thinking it's the federal government kind of throwing shade at the high income tax state saying, you want to charge all these high income taxes to your residents, we're going to punish you for it. So I don't know. I, who knows what the truth is, what the, the reason is for it. It's going to hurt some people in, in those states, so I can tell you that. Okay. Yeah. I'm thinking we're definitely over the limit for, for that paid to the state of California last year. So, okay. But the first 10 grand still is a deduction. It's just everything after that is just straight like right and there's a few reasons it's not going to be as bad as, as it seems number one is because they're doubling that standard deduction so i was looking this up actually only 30 percent of people in california itemized deductions last year which means the other 70 percent already took the standard deduction now that the standard deduction is doubling i would guess that that's going to be cut at least in half and maybe even more so it's only going to possibly impact 10 to 15 percent of the people in california and even then not all of them will be impacted it's not a huge amount of people it's going to hit, but the people that is going to hit, it's going to hit hard. Okay. All right. Well, deep breath. Uh, we'll have to do the math and see if we're uh, better or worse off after all these changes anyways. But the pass-through entity thing is big, and then all this other stuff maybe will equalize out. But anything else drastically new and different under the new law? Yeah. You know, actually, one, one other good thing we forgot to mention is they are lowering the overall tax rates a little bit in the individual level. So I think the highest tax rate went from like 40% to like 36 or 37%. So not a huge amount, but every little bit's going to help. So that you'll, you'll see a little bit less taxes just in the tax rate reduction as well. Stepping down the different brackets. Yeah, exactly. And I, I'll say this too. I, I ran a, a several scenarios for several clients just to see what this was looking like. And the overwhelming majority of our clients were saving money under this new tax plan, some significantly. I mean, somewhere as low as $500 to $1,000. I ran my personal scenario and I'll tell you, I, I would have saved over $10,000 if this were in place in 2016. Wow. So for a lot of people, it's going to be a, a big savings. Okay. Now, Josh, if you got some, some time, we got some tax questions from the Side Hustle Nation Facebook group if you're, if you're down for it. Let's do it. The first one is setting up a Roth IRA for my kids. If my kid is earning money in the business, I don't know, I used him at, you know, the example was I could use him as a model for my Facebook ads or something like that. And I pay <laughs> him a certain amount and then I immediately funnel that into a Roth so it's tax deferred. Yeah. So I actually love this strategy. So for most people, I get people all the time saying, I need to pay my kids so I can reduce my taxes. And for that, I'm not a huge fan of it because it's just going to open up more headaches and the tax savings is minor. But if you're going to pay them and then you're going to put that earned income that they have into a retirement account, like a Roth or a traditional IRA, then I'm all for it. Because now you're, you're not just getting a small tax savings out of it. You're starting a number one, you're starting a retirement. I mean, how, how awesome would it have been to be seven years old and have someone start a Roth IRA for you, right? So that alone is just an awesome way to do things, I think. And it's very, very possible. So that's a business deduction for, for you and it's income for the kid. But so they can, my understanding is you can only contribute what they earn and they, what they exactly. earn has to be kind of like commensurate for what, I don't know how you'd look this up, but like figure out what a standard rate for whatever job they perform for you is. You can't just pay them some exorbitant fee and say, 
they modeled for my Facebook ad or whatever, you know, the example is they provided voiceover work. That's exactly right. And that's right. I think people run into trouble where I get people asking questions like, oh, I'm going to pay my seven year old $30,000 to file a few papers for me. Yeah. Like, Come on, bro. <laughs> Let's be realistic here. Like the IRS is going to want to know they're going to take into account what your kid's age is and what he could reasonably do and what he would reasonably be paid for that. So yeah, if you want to pay him $6,000 to do some legitimate work for you, some modeling, some paper filing, and then contribute that to a Roth. Absolutely. I'm all for it. But let's just be realistic and not get carried away with it. Okay. And is that that's untouchable until they're 65 and a half or whatever the rule is? 59 and a half. Yeah, they can't. I mean, they can touch it, but they're going to get taxed heavily for it. So okay. the good thing, though, it, with an IRA, though, there are exceptions to that. So like if, when they go to buy their first home, they can take it out penalty free for like the first $10,000 or medical purposes or things like that. So there are I like that strategy a lot. There's a lot of flexibility with it. Okay, cool. Now I got to brainstorm some tasks for uh, for the little guy. He's, <laughs> he's just over two, so we'll see what he what he can reasonably get done. But if your kids are a little bit older, that could be a cool strategy to shield some income and kind of fund some investment account for them as well. Uh, next question we had was, what's the difference between a tax attorney and a CPA, and when would I know how to choose the difference between the two, or when do I, how do I know which one I need? Yeah, I don't know that I've ever gotten that one before either. That's kind of interesting. It depends. I mean, there's CPAs that can also be tax attorneys, and there's tax attorneys that can also file taxes. So it depends on each individual. But generally speaking, your CPA is going to actually file your taxes, do your, your tax planning, things like that. A tax attorney is going to come into play if you run into some issues with some taxing authorities. So if the IRS audits you or you're behind on payroll taxes or things like that, they can work with you and the IRS to solve those issues. So I guess I would say that a tax attorney comes more into play after the taxes are filed and, and you run into issues. But again, that's not to say some, some tax attorneys do file the returns as well. But generally speaking, what their role would be as a tax attorney would be to, to help you in those situations. Okay. Are they doing any of the kind of the strategic tax planning stuff or is that more the accountant's role? They definitely can. I would just say that would be more of a in the CPA's role. But again, a tax attorney can act in that role as well. But I think their expertise as a tax attorney would come more in an attorney's role, you know, where, where you're going <laughs> to, in unfortunate situations where you're dealing with people you don't want to deal with. Okay. Were there any changes to the mortgage interest deduction for either homeowners or kind of like if you're building a, a rental empire? Yeah. So we didn't talk about that. The mortgage interest. So the way it used to work was you could only deduct mortgage interest on the first $1 million in loans on your personal residence. That has changed to the first 750000 All right. So they're cutting 250000 off that. Two things to keep in mind with that. Number one, if you're grandfathered in, so if your loan's already in place, it doesn't matter. You're still, you're still going to get that first $1 million like you had in the past. Okay. Number two, this only applies to personal residence. If you have rental properties, you can still deduct the full mortgage interest. There's no impact there. This is strictly itemized deductions for personal residence. Okay. So kind of just another shot across the bow to these high cost of living states. Exactly. The high cost of living states of the people that they, whoever's doing this quote unquote considers wealthy. So that, that's where they're going okay. with that. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. The other question that we had was because the healthcare question always comes up for people who are kind of like standing on the edge, thinking of making the leap to take their side hustle full time. What am I going to do about healthcare? If I buy insurance off the exchange or whatever it is, or if I go through one of these health sharing services, like if I run that through my company, through the entity, through the LLC, through the S Corp, whatever it is, is there a tax advantage of doing that? 
Yeah, so we, we get this question all the time. The first thing I'd say, you're going to get a deduction if you're self-employed and you have no access to a group plan. So if, if you own a business, but your spouse has a job and you could get on their plan, even if you're not on it, you don't get the self-employed health insurance deduction, right? You have to have no access to a group plan. But if you fall under that category and you're self-employed, you're going to get a deduction for that health insurance. And it doesn't matter whether you run it through the business or individually. Okay, so you don't have to go and get it through the business. The other thing people always want to know there is, well, if I get it through the business, will I qualify for some group rates or for the small business tax credit? That's only going to come into play if you have employees that you're also going to put under your group plan. Okay, so for like most people, I would guess a lot of people in your audience falls in this, most of our clients fall in this. They're the only employees in the business. Maybe they have one or two, probably part-time, maybe one full-time. If that's the case, you're not going to qualify for those group plans. So a group plan is just you have a bunch of people on the plan, so you get a lower rate because there's a bunch of people on it. So if it's just you and your spouse or maybe even you and one other employee, you're not going to get a tax benefit by running it through the business. It's going to be the exact same deduction. Okay. But wasn't there some like subsidy under the Affordable Care Act? Say like if you're a small business with less than 25 employees or something and you maybe you are the only employee or it's you and your spouse or somebody that doesn't qualify? No, that is the owners in the company. You're not going to qualify for that. You'd have to have employees that you're also covering under the plan. Okay. Hmm. And your kid doesn't count either. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, no. But on top of talking to CPA, you want to talk to a health insurance expert here because this stuff gets crazy. Yeah. And especially if you're self-employed. I mean, there's, there's, there's very few options. I'd also talk to them about group health share plans. So health share plan is slightly different than insurance. That's what I have, what a lot of entrepreneurs have. Which one do you use, by the way? So ours is called MediShare, MediShare. There's a bunch of different ones out there. But our insurance went from $1,100 a month to $450 a month. And we also cut our deductible or our out-of-pocket max from like $13,000 to $3,700. So it's significant. The one downside to it is it is not a tax deduction like it is for actual insurance. But I mean, we're saving way, way, way more than we could have gotten on a tax deduction for it. So look into all your options is the best thing I can recommend for self-employed people. Okay. Interesting. Have you had any experience with them, good or bad, making claims? Yeah. No. So we were actually really interested. We just had a baby this past November. So we were really interested to see how that would go. And we'd reached that 3700 out-of-pocket max before she had the baby. And they covered 100% of the medical bills. I think we paid 500 They had some like weird thing where you have to pay the first 500 even if you're at your out-of-pocket max. But okay. out of like ten or $11,000, we paid $500 total. So we were, we were really happy with that. Okay, cool. But regular standard insurance, like 100% of that premium is a deduction whether or not you itemize? Correct. Yeah. So it goes on a special line on your 1040 called self-employed health insurance deduction. Okay. Interesting. All right. I'm learning lots. I learn more every time we talk, Josh. <laughs> thank you for joining me again. CPAonfire.com is where you can find him. Let's wrap this thing up with your number one tip for Side Hustle Nation. Are we talking tax tips or just general business tips? How about one of each if you got it? All right, let's see. Number one tax tip, get the proper business entity. Nothing's going to impact your taxes, in my opinion, more than the proper business entity. On top of that, it's going to possibly impact your legal liability. So talk to somebody, make sure you're in the proper business entity. Don't go listen to your uncle or or some online article or the radio. Talk to someone, get in the proper business entity. General business tip, man. I, I think last time I talked about building your audience first, right? To me, that's always a huge one. Build an audience and then and then try to profit off that. I think people that go into a business and say, I'm going to go make a bunch of money. What can I charge people for? They're not going to make it. It's people that say, I have some awesome content to deliver people. I have information that people are going to want to have. And even if I have to deliver it for free for a year, I'm going to build up an awesome audience. And then I'll have some 
really cool things to sell to that audience. Yeah. I guess I'll, I could flip that around and say, well, what's been the most effective over the last three, four years in building your practice? Actually, what I'm doing right now, getting in touch with other people's audience. So my number one way that I built my business from the start was I hooked up with Entrepreneur on Fire, which at that time, I think they still are one of the top five or 10 business podcasts on iTunes. And I did their taxes for free. I said, look, I like your podcast. I just want to help you guys. Can I do your taxes? And never charge them a dime to this day. Four years later, I've never charged them a dime. But they bring me on their podcast once a month to give an income report tip. And that huge audience that they have now has access to me. So getting on podcasts like yours, like The Amazing Seller, all these great podcasts that have this awesome audience, tap number one to do it, you got to be able to give them something of value, right? You're not going to have me on if I'm just on here rambling. But... <laughs> By doing that, you're showing people that you know what you're talking about and hopefully you're going to get some of that audience that comes to you. So take advantage of other people's audience. The thing I used to always hear other people say was start a business, use other people's money, right? What's that? OOM, other people's money. To me, I always say use other people's audience. Find these great influencers that have built up a great audience and, and see how you can tap into that audience. Yeah, the OPA plan. I like it. Well, Josh, <laughs> thanks so much, man. We'll catch up with you soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, tax time is upon us, my friends. You know, the time of year when the snow is falling, New Year's resolutions are still optimistically intact, and more than a few listeners of the show are digging their way out from a pile of receipts and spreadsheets. So if you find yourself in that boat and you're getting buried in paperwork, I want to invite you to go and check out the FreshBooks.com cloud accounting software. Not only is it going to save you a ton of time and stress, it might actually change the way you feel about dealing with your taxes. For example, if you need to send your accountant a quick summary of the amount of tax you've collected over the course of the year or a quick uh, profit and loss summary statement, FreshBooks can generate these types of reports in seconds instead of the hours it might take you to do them manually. You can even set FreshBooks up to import expenses directly from your bank accounts, which means next time you use your debit card for that meal, you're taking a client out, that piece of software or a new computer, boom, that purchase is instantly recorded inside FreshBooks. It's made for entrepreneurs, freelancers, and side hustlers like us, especially those among us who don't like dealing with numbers and taxes. And right now, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to Side Hustle Show listeners. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com slash side hustle and enter the Side Hustle Show in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Again, that's freshbooks.com slash side hustle to start your 30-day free trial today. All right, my top takeaways from this call with Josh. Number one, reduce your taxable business income by 20%. If that sounds like a big deal, it is. And it sounds like it's open to almost all side hustlers. So definitely looking forward to that one. Josh also recommended setting up your business entity, which can afford you some liability protection uh, as well on top of the 20% savings. Uh, takeaway number two is to keep an up-to-date record of your income and expenses. I'm actually tracking these numbers daily in my business, and it's helpful to see in real time where I'm at for the month, for the quarter, and for the year. And takeaway number three is to control what you can control. Of course, this is a common theme for the show, but I think your time is almost certainly better spent growing your business than it is worrying about the intricate details of the tax code and pondering, you know, why it is the way it is. The bottom line is this. If you earn more in your business, you'll earn more in your business. There's no 100% tax bracket. By all means, do a little learning, a little planning, but then go out and do your work. Control what you can control. Now, there were a couple mentions in this episode of the previous episode we did with 
with Josh, which uh, was a similar Q&A style. That was episode 208. If you want to go check it out, sidehustlenation.com slash taxes will get you there or sidehustlenation.com slash 208 if that's easier to remember. In that one, we dive uh, deeper into the uh, S-Corp self-employment tax saving strategy, uh, some retirement saving strategies, and uh, and what expenses you can legitimately deduct in your business. Again, go check them out at cpaonfire.com and hit up sidehustlenation.com slash taxes 2018 taxes 2018 to download the free PDF highlight reel with all of Josh's top tips from this episode. And actually, if you want to run a quick and dirty estimate of how the changes might impact you, the best calculator I found for it was at calcxml.com. Uh, which I'll link up for you in the show notes at sidehustlenation.com slash taxes2018. As well, you can compare that total tax liability number with what you actually paid last year to see if you're going to be better or worse off. In any case, thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen, and I'll catch you in the next edition of The Side Hustle Show, where we're talking about a unique, high-touch affiliate marketing model that you might be able to apply to your niche. I'll see you then. Hustle on. Thanks for listening to the Side Hustle Show at www.sidehustlenation.com.